0: If you're looking for inspiration and challenge in the world of early years and key stage one education, then you've just found it. Welcome to the Early Excellence Podcast. Hello everyone, Andy Burt here. Welcome along to episode 63 of the Early Excellence podcast. In this week's episode, I'm joined by my colleague Nova Robinson as we discuss and explore effective routines for learning in the early years and Key Stage 1. So here you go. Here's my Early Excellence podcast chat with Nova Robinson. Right, so I am joined by Nova Robinson, um, who is our Key Stage 1 expert at Early Excellence. And we're going to talk about something really interesting, I think, really quite specific as part of practice, both in terms of early years and into Key Stage 1 as well. We're going to be talking all about routines. We're going to be talking about those kind of daily or weekly or perhaps sort of routines that come up every, every couple of weeks, but certainly things that you need to have as a kind of almost like as a, as a sort of a rolling programme, really, of, of things that happen throughout the year. And they can be quite often things that will happen just on a regular basis as part of everyday practice and that might not take very long. So, for example, we're going to talk about things you can do as part of doing the register, for example, or snack time and, and other things. So we're not talking about using up an awful lot of time However, when we think about using those little pockets of time, um, actually what we do is we start to then think about the the accumulation of that time. So if you imagine that you spend say, say, a couple of a couple of minutes every day, you know, think about how much that how much time is added up then across the whole year. You know, you're into hours probably across the year of of doing something on a repeat in a repeated way. OK, so let's get straight on with this um, in terms of routines. Um, Nova, I know you were going to say something about that link between early years and Key Stage 1 before we get into routines. Shall, shall we hand over to you just to, to explain that?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, I just I think one of the things that I wanted to make um, a point about was how important the routines are as part of the tra- the whole transition process. And that we spend an awful lot of time sometimes in Key Stage 1 thinking about, or data, talking about the children as individuals. And then hopefully we look at the environment and how that might work for us in key stage one. But I'm not sure we always look at the routines, the kinds of things that actually are really supporting the children that come to us in their growing independence. So I think one of the things that I would say before we introduce some examples is, if you're in key stage one, you don't have experience of working in early years, Get into early years whenever you can and watch how the classroom is run. Watch and see and find out all those different routines and procedures that form um, the foundation of much of what happens there.
0: Thank you. That's brilliant. And, and you're going to start us off as well, aren't you, on um, on one particular routine. Um that Actually, I suppose you could use really in terms of early years as well. But you, we picked it out and focused in on it in terms of Key Stage 1 practice. So you're right to get us started with that. Absolutely.
1: And I think it's it's what you said a couple of minutes ago. It's that making sure that you're kind of relentless in your search for learning opportunities, really. So the first thing that I'm going to talk about is plants, um, which isn't a routine in itself, but we can build up routines from those. And it's thinking about the plants that we have in our classroom, assuming that they're real plants, um, that we often have in there as kind of decorative features, in the first instance and sometimes and that's the only way that we use them and that absolutely they have a place for that but when we're looking for the learning that we can come back to over and over and over again is thinking about those plants as a collection themselves so think about the range of plants that we provide and we have in our classroom have we got plants that flower plants that um, grow in, you know, that are hanging plants, perhaps we have succulents, or maybe we've got something a little bit more um, interesting, like a Venus flytrap. So have we got a broad range of plants in the first instance? And then have we thought about introducing them to our children, letting them know where these plants might grow in a natural habitat? And because of that, have we looked at the care instructions, where they need to be placed in the classroom, which ones have bright light, all those different things, and how much care they need from us in terms of watering and feeding. And then I'd be looking at, once they were introduced, building up a routine around that. So having, like you might have tidy teams for different areas of your classroom, having a care team, a plant care team. And I guess the same thing would apply if you had still had a pet in the classroom who checks in on the plants what kind of recording system do you have you know can it initials for who's checked at what time whether what the soil feels like the compost feels like how much water they were given and when and and what's happening to them in terms of their growth and life cycles i think an enormous amount can be gained from that and as we go through key stage 1 The responsibility for that in terms of remembering to do it, recording the information and also presenting the findings to the class, whether that's weekly or however you choose to do it, is increasingly passed over to the children. So they start doing that with increasing independence. So that would be the first one that I would mention.
0: Yeah, that's that's a brilliant start. Really good start. Yeah, very interesting, isn't it? I I think um, that could also be the case within early years, of course. That we could actually use plants and get into a routine that we could then perhaps build on into key stage one. That would be really interesting. Fantastic. Um, my first one in terms of in terms of early years practice, I was thinking about um observational drawing. But although again, actually, you could use this through, of course, into key stage one as well. Now. Again, it would be up to you how often you would do this as a routine. You might say, well, actually, we're going to really value observational drawing and we're going to do it every single week, might be every two weeks or every three weeks. However you do it, I think it's a really valuable, a really valuable routine to get into. Um, It's a great routine for, for being able to see the progression in children's drawings, in children's Um, fine motor control, pencil control. It's a great activity for speech and language and communication. You notice things. So when we're drawing something seasonal, for example, if we're talking about maybe seed cases in the autumn, might be, or we're talking about drawing or sketching plants or flowers, maybe in the spring, for example, um, that actually as we're doing that, you know, we're talking, what have you noticed? Do you know what this part of the plant is called? Um, do you know what this part of the plant is called? Talking about new language, new vocabulary, using our senses. Um, so lots of, I think, really important learning goes on as part of that activity. And certainly something that I've mentioned before on the podcast, that idea, I think, I think sometimes we we make what we do more complicated by splitting up the different areas of learning or the different subjects, from, from, in, you could say, within key stage one. And that sometimes actually we lose out when we, when we take our eye off the ball in terms of what could be done in a holistic way. And I think that observational drawing is a good example of something that you can do, which is a rich, holistic experience. That you can talk about the physical skills gained through it. You can talk about the, the hand-eye coordination. You can talk about language and speech and vocabulary, understanding the world, mathematical possibilities. Depending on what you choose, in terms of your you, the, the material or, or the, the artifact that you're observing for the drawing, there are all sorts of possibilities. The other thing I think is great for, in terms of observational drawing is that you're, it gives you the, the prompt, I suppose. If you do it as a routine, it gives you a prompt as the adults in the class to teach those skills. So to teach the skills of, of observing and drawing, of, of using the whole page, for example. You know, when children first start drawing, they will often draw a very small drawing in the middle of a, even quite a large sheet of paper. And through observational drawing, we can get the children into the habit of actually, if we're wanting to really show the detail there in the picture, um, then we need to draw big. You know, so we need to use the whole of the page and we're going to really look carefully. Does does what I'm drawing look like what I can see there or is it something from my mind of what I think it should look like? So really interesting, I think a really interesting routine to get into, whether whether you work within, the, as I say, within the early years or or within Key Stage 1. Okay, so that would be my first one as a, as a kickoff. What about the next one from you, Nova? What have you got for us?
1: So the next one I've got um, is all about the weather. And it's kind of two parts, really. The first is setting up some form of weather station. And the second is thinking about how you're going to record that information. Because I'm quite sure that, you know, that kind of register time routine about talking about the weather, maybe putting up a symbol and having that conversation is something that often is carried through into year one in particular. But I also think it's something that either doesn't move on or kind of falls by the wayside as as time gets to feel a bit more precious. But in terms of what we can get from it and the links to the national curriculum, it can be really valuable. So this is where... We set up um, an increasingly formal weather station somewhere in the school grounds. It doesn't matter if you have your own outdoor area, if this is at the front of the school, wherever it is. And it's thinking about collecting rain, so something to measure the rainfall, something to measure wind direction and probably um, a thermometer so you can check the temperature. And it becomes a routine, initially supported by adults, but increasingly done by the children themselves, where you go and check, take the recordings every single day. So one group of children for a week or for longer and so on, however you choose to do that. And then what happens is that that data is kept So rather than it being today, it's windy, and yesterday there was this much rainfall, that information is stored somewhere in some really simple way, for example, on a calendar page. So that if you imagine a month's calendar page that you've got, you can put the symbols for the weather in the days. And then by the end of the month, you've got a real wealth of data that you can look back on, you can compare with previous months, you can use to predict the next month or predict on the day when their birthday is, all sorts of links there. And it works not only for the children in terms of the observations they're making, the number of times that they're going to be recording, collating and sharing data, interpreting that data, but it also provides a real wealth of learning opportunities for us when we think about our direct teaching and how we might use that and similarly to what you were saying with regard to the observational drawing that understanding of seasons and how the year moves on is really developed then through the year appropriately rather than having to be planned and taught at one single point during the year so that would be something that I think I would establish and suggest you establish really early on, and it will provide you with an awful lot of learning opportunities. So that would be my second routine to build into key stage one.
0: Very good. Fantastic. I think what stands out in terms of each of, each of these examples is that I think that they work as examples because you can see that they're meaningful. So, yeah. you, know, I, you know, you know, can you can see that actually children would see a point to that. You know that there is a reason for that. That we, you know, we want to record the weather. We want to be able to talk back about, you know, what was the wettest day or the dry, the warmest day or the driest day. You know, we want to be able to think back. You know, children like thinking back to kind of their own within their own living memory, don't they? And this is part of that. So it's it's very much meaningful learning. Uh, my next ex- example is is very similar to that. I, in terms of that that meaningful nature. To what we do here as part of routines, um, I often find that we are very quick to um, to go straight in with a kind of a, a an intervention for young children. Now, that might be um, might be a language intervention. It might be an intervention around using um, fine motor control. It could be a wide range of things, and you know there are times when they can be they can be useful. However, I often find that the interventions that we choose, that we plan for, are quite detached from what's meaningful. And I think think my advice would always be to think about, actually, you know, as we were just saying, I think learning is most effective when it's meaningful. And so my next example is is an example, again, for early years practice. It's making Play-Doh with the children on a weekly basis. so so having a group of children... Who you know actually they need this experience. Okay, now that might be the, uh, the same group repeated, perhaps, or it might be different groups of children each week. Either way, it makes far more sense to make the Play Doh with the children as a group activity. And you can call it an intervention if you want to, but it's an experience that's meaningful. It's great for conversation because it's a sensory experience. You know, the sensory experiences are often great for language and vocabulary. It's also great for mathematics, of course, you know, measuring out quantities, talking about how much we have put in, how many cupfuls of, of flour, perhaps, and all of those sorts of things. But it's also great for physical development in terms of really needing to, to knead that dough to to mix the doughs uh, to use a use a, a wooden spoon perhaps or to you know to, to be able to really mix it carefully that takes a real bit of you know quite a bit of strength to do that and it, if we do it well i think it just becomes one of those jobs that we do and children don't think of it as well i'm kind of being taken out of this group or you know, because i'm not, i can't do this or i can't do that it's just part of what we do it's it's this it's your job to make the dough we need we need the play-doh for the week so that's the job that needs to be done and again as i mentioned just before it's rich in that holistic in those holistic possibilities i think and and that again is is worthwhile um i'd like to say that i kind of come at this having done this for a number of years in terms of kind of a a group activity around play-doh um and I, and, I, and I did as part of my practice, but it took me quite a while to get to it. I have to say, I, certainly initially as an early years teacher, I was the early years teacher who would make the Play-Doh at home on a Sunday evening and then walk into school with a bag of Play-Doh and then, and then set it out proudly on the Play-Doh table. Um, when actually, as, as I've just said, it can be far more valuable if you do that with the children as an activity. Okay, so that's my next one. Really specifically, I suppose, for early years, although you could use it within Key Stage One. Um, what about you, Nov? What's your next one? You're, you're, we're moving on from dough onto books now, we are. aren't we?
1: We are. And mine is looking at a book of the week or whatever time period you want to have it for. But like you said about dough, I think this is one of the things that we often do we've decided there's going to be a book of the week, or it might be an author or an illustrator of the week. We're going to probably on a Sunday afternoon, sit and decide what the book is and what resources we might put with it to enhance it and all those other things. Whereas actually, there are so many things that children can learn from making this decision themselves. If we think about curriculum, it's choosing books, it's reading books, it's sharing opinions on books. There are all sorts of different things as well as the actual reading the text. So if we think about choosing a book of the week that you might display in your book area, your story area, Again, we would do this with the children initially, but as children move through key stage one, I would anticipate that this becomes something that they know they have to do, that they understand the routines and the procedures around this, what has to happen, they know what the expectations are, so that eventually, they don't need us at all. And actually, we know when it's we know when it's stuck in and when it's embedded, because they remind us if we forget, and that's the point we want to get to. So with A book of the week, this initially might form part of our guided reading session or part of an intervention in a similar way to, you know, baking the dough is. You know, we've got a set of books, say three to look at in the first instance. Right, one of these is going to be our book of the week. So let's have a think about which one it is. And and we're guiding the children and doing all of the modelling and talking them through the process. How are we going to make a decision? And once we've made that decision, how are we then going to introduce it to the rest of the class? As that develops across each year and across the key stage, it becomes increasingly sophisticated so that you will reach the point where you're able to say, right, here you go. There's a set of three books, four books. You have a look at them. And between you, work out which one is going to be the book of the week and then think about how you're going to Sell it to the class, how you're going to share it, get children inspired about reading this book because that's your job. Um, Eventually, you will hopefully get to the point where you'll be able to say, Okay, it's your turn to choose the book of the week, off you go and find one. So you're not even then involved in the initial presentation of a smaller selection of books. What you will also find, again, through good modelling. Um, an increasing expectation is that you will reach the point where the introducing, the advertising the book becomes far more complex and often really quite humorous in many cases, because this is where children who have increasing skills in English across the board start advertising this book. You might have posters made, you might have children who present it like some kind of television advert so that they're really building on that whole approach of this is the book we want you to read and it's you need to read it because this, that and the other and when you read it you'll have this pocket or these small world resources to go with it and it it just grows and the children really take this on and use the skills that we've given them and then alongside that, the other part of this routine that gradually extends is the feedback that children get so that it that could be something as simple as put your name on this list or tick your name when you've read the book of the week but again you can then think about okay so what were your opinions how are you going to find ways to gauge and measure and possibly record really simply because we don't want to you know put very complex book review sheets in a book area or something but some way of getting some feedback and then again the children start to return to that and use that and present what happened as a result of their book in the week so that same thing move away from us feeling that we have to set everything up and find those opportunities for when the children we can pass more of it over to them so that would be my number three book of the week Andy
0: very good very good I love that idea of the children kind of advertising a book and you know kind of and what I like as well is that is the sort of the high expectation there that often those things that you've talked about are things that often end up being the adult's job Mm. you know to try and really get the, the the kind of the enthusiasm going for a book and to really really do that and we do do that really well of course but it's so crucial, isn't it, to, to kind of to say, well, actually, the children could be learning how to do that. You know, it, it mm. would, it's, it's great to kind of to build that skill in terms of the children. They can do
1: it brilliantly, can't yeah. they? They can do it absolutely brilliantly.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, love it. Um, in terms of my one, I've got a kind of a mixture, really. I've got a kind of use of use of number at different points in the day that I think is crucial. So, um, for example, uh, register time. Making sure that, you know, children record themselves, you know, self uh, register, you know, alongside you doing the register. Can they self register? So, for example, that might be um, you might have 10 frames set out on the wall and that they they add a token or they add a picture of themselves into the 10 frames so that we can see when one set of 10 is full and then we move on to the next one and then the next one possibly. And so that we're showing the children actually what does ten look like, and that we can start to work out that that's ten, and that's another ten, and that's another then then we've got maybe another five to add on to that. So that we're getting into quite complex uses of number through register time. I also thought about number as part of snack time. You know, again, can we record? Can we record who's had their snack? Can we also use snack time as an opportunity for talk? And to record what we think. So you might say, Well, we're going to have a question at snack time, and I want you to record your answer in one particular way. Um, I've seen this done really well in terms of um, at snack time when the children sit down for snack, or having a choice of books for the end of the school day, and that the children have a, a duplo or lego brick or something like that, and that we make a tower of duplo bricks to show which is the most popular story in terms of the one that we're going to choose for the end of the day and again i think that's really interesting you know it's it's involving again a bit like you were just saying involving children in in a process there of getting kind of getting them to buy into which book we're going to have and and great so as you were saying earlier on when you were talking about the data around a weather station i think i think that idea of voting for a story is a kind of a good early years version of, of that in terms of data, you know, that we can start to talk about, well, how many children voted for the Gruffalo, how many children voted for a squash and a squeeze, you know, or, or whatever it might be in terms of stories. And we can compare. And what you've basically got there, if you've got Towers of Duplo, you've basically got the beginnings of a a kind of like a bar chart. You know, we're talking about a simple bar chart there. So really simple things, but really important, I think, in terms of building routines into the the day. Um, You've got another one in terms of number, I think, haven't you? Or mathematics, Nova. What have you got there?
1: This is to do with telling the time, which we know is far from simple and is one of those areas that we have, for want of a better word, have to be relentless in in our efforts to teach it. And it's going to work most effectively when it's something that just forms part of our daily classroom life, rather than waiting for that point in the scheme or our maths teaching where we're looking at time, which of course we're going to be doing as well. So this is the time team, and this involves having a set of Watches, wrist watches for the children to wear. So you might have, I don't know, half a dozen of these watches. Um, and children take responsibility for wearing the watch. I would assume probably the best, most people do this who choose to do this for a week. So for a week, those children come in in the morning. They might sign to say that they put the watch on, taken it for the day, borrowed it for the day. They wear the watch and they wear it all through the day. Replace it at the end of the day, and so on. And so that's the basic routine. That there's a group of children, a team of children, responsible for telling the time and keeping the class aware of what time it is. And then into it, the learning comes from your expectations of their abilities to tell the time and how much responsibility you ensure that they have for that. So, of course, for a lot of children, in year one in particular, this is going to be mostly about becoming familiar with the time and it's going to be you know, strongly modelled and supported as you go through the year. As children become more competent with telling the time, and we know... You know, if things happen at an o'clock or they happen at a half past, then those kinds of times we can be much more demanding in terms of what time it is and those kinds of things. As children move through year two and become increasingly able to tell the time effectively, we can then, I guess, expect more of them. And that's when we become a little bit more... Well, it's hard to balance, isn't it? But you can be a bit more ruthless at this point, I guess. And, you know, they're responsible for telling the class, you know, when it's playtime. What happens if they forget to tell the class that it's playtime? Other than, you know, the the route, you know, the, the debate that would arise because of that. But then if that's the case and we're five minutes late going out, um, how are they going to make that up? Where can we find an extra five minutes? Do we add it to the end? And all of those conversations... But also they can take more responsibility for timing, for periods of time. You know, how long it took us, how much longer we've got left to do, to complete, to get to all of those different things. Um, And we know that our school days are, are run by the clock to a large extent. The other part of that to support that would be something as simple as looking at where your classroom clock is located Because if it's up high and it's out of children's reach, it's it's going to remove it from them. If it's brought lower down and it's somewhere where the children can go up to it and you can go up to it and count round in five minutes and all of those different things, perhaps near where you have your gathering space, then it's going to be much more effective. And the other thing that I would say as part of time being a routine was, is to try and sell it to the whole staff team so that whoever's doing assembly references a clock that hopefully everyone, all the children can see. They reference the clock when you start assembly, when you're partway through, when you finish assembly and how long it's going to take you to get back and all to your class and when you'll be ready for learning. All of those different things. So it becomes a responsibility and it is a routine. But it's also just there all the time. You know, lunchtime supervisors can use it. If you have um, an outside clock and you can get some really good um, outdoor safe clocks, then you can also use it and constantly reference the time at playtime in the mornings when children are sprinting across the yard to get in on time. And it gives you so many more opportunities for embedding that understanding of the concept of time, which we know is difficult but also absolutely crucial so that would be my final pick for a routine
0: through key stage 1 very good fantastic one to end on i think definitely um, yeah i think that's really interesting that idea of of embedding learning is is very much what we're talking about here it is meaningful learning definitely but it's also embedding learning um as you as you mentioned earlier on this is something that is it kind of stands apart from the directed teaching. You know, you've got your you've got your math scheme, you've got your literacy or phonics scheme, you've got the different things that are going on as part of the day. But I think whenever we focus too much on a scheme, we lose sight of, sometimes I think we lose sight of how is that learning going to be embedded? You know, so if that learning only happens at one point in the day, and sometimes within a scheme, the learning then moves on to something different the next week and and so on there's a there's a we move on to different things then my concern is that actually when's when are, when is that learning going to be properly embedded when are the children going to see it as meaningful that what they've learned is something that they can apply um, in a meaningful context and these routines each of these routines whether we're talking about routines for early years or routines for key stage one practice They are things that can stand separate, of course, to your different schemes, to the the focused or directed teaching that you do. But as I mentioned right at the beginning, the accumulation of time that you are then committing to telling the time, to recording number or using data, to physical skills being developed, language skills being developed, to... A celebration of books and reading. The amount of time that we're giving to each of those different things through each of these routines, I think, is incredibly valuable. So we hope that you found the episode interesting. I hope you found it useful. I'm sure I'm, there are certainly lots of ideas there that I'm sure that that anybody could could start to. Even if you don't use these specific ideas, I hope that it gets gets your kind of your your brain turning over really and and, and reflecting on actually what could you do as part of routines within your particular setting. Okay, Um, so, yeah, have a think about what you currently do in terms of routines. How can you use those minutes in the day? How can you use those regular sorts of routines to really bring in that meaningful learning, embedding learning over time? And there you have it. Thank you very much to Nova for joining us on the podcast this week and also to you people for listening along too. I hope that you found our conversation useful. That's about it for this week. Have a great week, everybody, and we'll see you next time.